Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 29. This is the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. This episode is dedicated to the, I wrote <laughs> 2974 in my notes, but the 1974 spooky comedy, Young Frankenstein, directed by Mel Brooks, starring lots of familiar faces. We got Gene Wilder, Terry Garr, Marty Feldman, and Peter Boyle, among others. This film sits in most top comedies of all time lists and was nominated for preservation by the U.S. National Film Registry. However, today I am joined by connoisseur of all things spooky, Chris McMullen. <laughs> Freddy Cat, Sarah Alexander. Good evening, Herr Costa. And, judging by the ranking so far, Gene Wilder hater, Craig Moore. <laughs> that is not true, but welcome, fellow monsters. <laughs> all right, we just checked out Young Frankenstein. What do you guys think of the film? That was a funny movie, man. Yeah. Quite different from Blazing Saddles, though. My understanding is that Gene Wilder had more control on this production than Mel Brooks. Uh, Mel Brooks was the main creative force behind Blazing Saddles, but Gene Wilder was the one who came up with the concept and wrote some of the early scripting for this too. So definitely a different style and that you can really see that come through. Yeah, especially the pace of jokes. I really like this movie. I forgot how much I liked it. I'd seen it maybe two or three years ago, but it was good. And I feel vindicated now watching it. I was like, oh God, is it going to have that same shitty mean comedy? And I just didn't remember. But no, I had a good time. I had the same thought too as well, Chris. When I first put this movie, I put the disc in my PlayStation. <laughs> and I was like, God, what if I don't like it? Because I have this idea of Gene Wilder in Willy Wonka specifically as the movie. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the one that is my favorite of his films. I just think he's great and hilarious. And I, I'm getting ready to watch this. And I'm like, God, if I got to do another podcast where I got to <laughs> shit on this guy, I don't know how I'm going to continue on. I think this movie kind of sits in a, an uncanny valley of sorts for me. Honestly, I didn't think it was funny enough to slap some of our other comedies on our list. And I thought since it focused so much on comedy, the plot itself wasn't strong enough to contend with a lot of our more plot-centric films. What are you talking about? It was... I think in no way is it a bad movie, but I think it's... I think decent is the best way to describe it. I mean... <sighs> You might be mad, but it's no Blazing Saddles. Get the fuck out of here. What are you even talking about? Oh my God. Okay. This... What the actual fuck? This, I thought, came off to me as more of like a family film. And in Blazing Saddles, I feel like regardless of YouTube, we were hit with joke after joke after joke. So it kept that pace. And that's kind of the same thing with Airplane too. Like they're really heavy. Whereas this one did have a lot of downtime and to use Craig's words, like a lot of peaks and valleys. So a lot of time it was just moving the plot along, but it is supposed to be satire. It is supposed to be lighthearted. So yeah, I thought it could be slow in areas. See, I, I took it as a fantastic satire of that era of horror movies. Oh, you're totally right. Gene Wilder saw Frankenstein and was like, I want this to have an happy ending and I want to laugh. And so that was his mindset going in. Yeah, it's literally Frankenstein with a bunch of jokes and a laugh track, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he took the whole five films of the Frankenstein series. Right. That's why he's like the grandson because there was always already a son of Frankenstein. So he baked it all in. But yeah, the joke pace wasn't what I was expecting or what I remembered it to be. I don't, you don't, I don't need that, I think. 
Piggybacking on the the pacing, I think that too is another reason why I kind of became detached a little bit from it. Not to say the pacing itself was bad, but I thought there were more opportunities for the plot to fail because it wasn't so joke-centric. Specifically, I think the intro is rather slow. Until you get to the scenes with Igor, I really think that whole opening 10-minute, 15-minute trek to the castle is just really underwhelming. Well, that's because we had to rewind it to prove to you that there were two trains. Wait, there was two trains? I thought he took a train from New York to Trans. Pennsylvania. That's what I thought too. And Chris is like, you idiot. Because that's way funnier. That's hilarious. Okay, that's what I said. I'm like, it's way funnier. No, they're totally different trains. One is like a 19... Oh, yeah, they're totally like, different trains, but they're having the same conversation in English and in German for some reason, even though they're in Romania. It's so much funnier if it's just one train from New York to Transylvania. No, one was like 1960s and one was like, like Edwardian at best. <laughs> I'm so happy you agree with me, Craig. And you also thought the same thing. Chris is making me feel so dumb. Chris's son was there too, like, uh, no, Jordan. <laughs> it's, it's funnier my way, and I am not going to apologize for for assuming it was funnier than it was. Oh my god, Jordan <laughs> and Craig. Oh, I'm not used to saying that. Yeah. yeah, so I thought the intro was slow, and then we get another shitty dance scene. Like, <laughs> Mel Brooks, can you please fuck right off with the singing and the dancing in your damn comedies? The dance scene would have been good if it was like, I don't know, 30 seconds of dance scene. But God, it went on way yeah. too long to the point where it wasn't funny anymore. I feel like that's the hill that Gene Wilder chose not to die on. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I think he was probably like, okay, fuck, Mel, I don't know why you like these so much. They're not funny. But I guess... We'll have a stupid fucking five-minute dance scene where the guy goes, every every other line. Or Gene Wilder loved it so much from Blazing Saddles, he wanted it in here since he did a majority of the writing. We don't have to pin this all on Mel. I want to pin it on Mel. But anywho, those are some of the moments as to why I felt like it had been narratively trumped on our list. I did think a lot of the comedy itself was good, though. There are a lot of standout moments. Do we want to start with some of the characters? Do we want to talk about Frankenstein himself? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Frankenstein. Once a Frankenstein, <laughs> then a Frankenstein, and then back to his legacy as a Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, I think he killed it. I thought he was hilarious. He had that unhinged mad scientist, and it was like he was trying not to be, but it was always under it was always under the surface. Yeah, well, at the beginning, he was playing the straight man to all the jokes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was the guy who didn't get why, like, I don't get it. I don't know why it's weird. And then he descended. Yeah, he does manic really well. And I thought that this was brought out in that where he did have the lows and then he got more and more crazy and mad scientist-y as it went. And I thought he really shone. I've loved him and everything I've seen him in. He's lively, he's animated, and he's really tasked with keeping this whole thing on the rails. He starts out as this very conventional scientist, finds a book in his grandfather's study, one afternoon of light reading, and he's ready to go off the rails now. <laughs> Not to jump ahead, but I do think what he does well is really serve as connective tissue for the rest of our, our characters, and I would argue more entertaining characters as well. Not to say he didn't have any funny bits. I loved a lot of the jokes that he contributed to. I think my favorite was probably when the monster first grabs him and he wants he wants his team to uh sedate the monster and they start playing charades but that's not even the funny part of the joke the funny part is is that sets up the second round of charades four minutes later when the monster grabs him again and they start the whole rigmarole <laughs> over again yeah so this is the kind of thing that i was talking about back in the blazing saddles episode of setting a joke up and then giving me a punchline 
So the, you set up the joke and you do the funny thing about the charades, and I feel like Blazing Saddles would have left it there. But then this movie comes and then gives us another one and punches us in the gut with a, a good punchline, and it, it nailed it. It was hilarious. Nobody likes callbacks and jokes. You're crazy, Craig. <laughs> and it did that a few times. It did it really well. Yeah. Like, did you guys notice whenever they said the one woman's name, a horse would neigh? Yeah. yeah. Then Igor does it on purpose, and then he gyms the camera <laughs> and kind of laughs with us. It's funny that Igor memes on it, but th- that joke itself coming back over and over again was not good. That was a lame joke. That was a snooze fest. It was a great joke. Why did they neigh? Like, your mind just, the, the mind... Well, it's because she was this horrible, terrifying woman, and she scared the horses, right? There was a rumor that um, Blucher translated to glue in German, and, like, horse glue's made from pork. Oh, that's oh. awesome. That's a joke. Yeah. But it's not, it's incorrect. Blucher does not mean glue oh. in German. I was almost impressed. No, <laughs> don't be. So I think that specific joke was done well because they set it up a few times in a row really quick and then they gave you that Igor punchline to kind of make you laugh. And then they only did it two or three times again for the rest of the run of the movie. Just to kind of call back and be like, ha, instead of making it a big main joke. What about Igor himself? What'd you guys think? Brilliant. I think probably my favorite- I didn't love him. What? Didn't love it. Oh, Oh, interesting. I found him to be predictable and almost obnoxious. Yeah, I think that was his bit though. I know, and I could have done without it. I didn't think that he was the strong member of the cast. I found him the most relatable. Igor was the eye guy. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I like how his uh, hump moved. Yeah. That was amazing. I thought he was funny. He had a lot of really good jokes that were kind of like one-liner jokes or had like short setup and quick payoff kind of jokes. They're all like but um chum jokes. Yeah. Yeah, all of them. And but they actually would like vaudeville and he would he would ape the camera when he did those that was yeah he that's what i'm saying he, he would gym the camera when he did it and he'd give you that give you the look it was yeah. funny every time but uh he definitely wasn't the character who was setting up the big long-running gags kind of feels weird to say this but he was the comic relief in the comedy yeah. <laughs> i mean he was for sure i think this film is really nothing without igor in particular marty feldman's performance and delivery holy shit does he kill this not only are his lines a riot but the way he presents them his delivery his physical comedy what he does with his face the way he spins his body around it just adds so much life to what otherwise could be a less significant performance everything he fucking says is so funny i have nothing bad to say about this character this movie is at its best when igor is on screen and doing dumbass shit i think my favorite bit is when frankenstein tells him to sit down and he just sits on the floor like a wild (laughs) animal So I sent you guys a screenshot before we recorded, and that's in the first scene he appears in. You can't even really describe it over audio, but he does this phase constantly. And again, when he's jimmying the camera, he doesn't even have to say a line. And I'm fucking busting a gut here laughing, looking at this shit-eating grin. He has so many moments. His first scene is so good. He's like uh, making fun of his name. Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, I'm Igor. Yeah. (laughs) And then when they're walking away from the station, he goes, oh, walk this way. And he doesn't mean follow me. He means literally hobble next to me. Gives Gene Wilder his cane. It's it's just a riot. And when he grabs the bag and he goes to grab the big one, he's like, ah, it's too heavy. I'll grab the little one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was perfect. There was an earnest effort to help, but then he kind of recalibrated after he figured out what he got himself into. Chris, as you said, the hump moving, and not even the hump moving, but the fact that he doesn't acknowledge that he has it in the first place. (laughs) Frankenstein goes, I can fix that for you. And he goes, what do you mean? What's wrong? Fix what? 
<laughs> Fix what? And why is it hollow? <laughs> Every time they hit it, it's like Dong. it's like a coconut. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> I wonder if it was a coconut. Now that you say that, it kind of sounds familiar. How about the uh, last of our trio, Igna? Inga. I typoed this in my entire note section. Inga. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Wolf Whistle. She was a smoke show. <laughs> what a babe! Holy. I remember her from later stuff that she did. She did sitcom stuff, but it must have been like twenty years later. So when I like, oh, Terry Gar, yeah, I know her. And then I'm like, I do not know her. So it seems pretty obvious that Inga exists for two reasons. She promotes and facilitates some of the comedy, but also acts as some eye candy. And so I did some research. I said, is this the hottest babe on the list so far? And I'm like, it couldn't be. Faye Dunaway is obviously way hotter. Rewatch mm. the beginning of Bonnie and Clyde. You didn't. I did. I rewatched the first 20 minutes and then I go back and I'm like, this um, this Terry Gar can't be hotter. And then I rewatch her first scene in Young Frankenstein. I'm like, nope, I was wrong. She's hotter. I'm sorry, Faye Dunaway. You've been demoted to spot number two. <gasps> Heard it here first. But what's funny is that this isn't even Terry Gar's first appearance on our list. We see her when she's a little bit older in Close Encounters, but I guess she was just less hot in that one. <laughs> so it took, we had to time travel backwards for her to reclaim spot number one. <laughs> Yeah, well, she earned that spot. She had a different energy when she was older, too. There's like a certain jubilance to her that makes her more, maybe more like attractive to me, whereas Faye Dunaway is very, um, well, she's like a crook. She's uh, getting into trouble. She's like a rebel without a cause, and maybe I don't. She's a femme fatale, as it were. The heart doesn't resonate as much with that. I need none of those troublesome girls in my life. Jordan likes the ingenue. <laughs> Let's let, not let this descend into a woman ranking oh, podcast. <laughs> I mean, wait, that's the rest of my notes. I just end here. <laughs> Yeah, so anyways, check out my new podcast, <laughs> BabeRankingPeeps.com. <laughs> okay, well, her contribution to the comedy, I felt like there was a lot of hits, but there was also a lot of misses here. Her first joke in the film, this is really where you got a hit, falls super flat. The roll in the hay didn't do anything yeah. for me. Thought it was lame. Yeah, thought it was, it was eh. cheesy. It was awful. Even a couple minutes later, she follows up with a good one. They're knocking on the castle door. Uh, your Igor is knocking on the castle door. Frankenstein goes, oh my goodness, look at those big knockers. And she goes, oh gosh, thank you. That was fucking <laughs> And I, I cracked up and like, is this movie nice to women? Not really. Is this sexist? I mean, probably. Is there rape? Yes. We can, get there. we can get there. But I did laugh at Inga's jokes. I thought they were funny. Although I really think she could have been a good character if they not only had the sexualized jokes, but also maybe pivoted her comedy into other areas as well, or made her contribute more greatly to the experiments or whatever. Like a little more science-y too. Yeah. Diversify her character a little bit instead of just being eye candy. It might have been interesting if they had Frankenstein bumbling around in the lab and her following behind him, you know, doing science. That might have been interesting. Yeah, that would be good. Like make her smart. <laughs> yeah, make her more than just the candle holder. The more we get through this list, the more I'm just annoyed about how little female impact there is in any narrative, in any core ensemble here. If there's a woman, usually she's an accessory to the man. Yeah. I would argue the only time that didn't happen was in Pan's Labyrinth, but that movie sucked. And Did then not back suck. to Bonnie and Clyde. That was the, okay, well, go listen to episode <laughs> Agree five. To Actually don't, that episode was shitty. But <laughs> I think the only other movie where any female had any real authority was in Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know, that's frustrating. And so I saw this and I'm like, oh, here we are. Another classic popcorn peeps, Hollywood reporter, women getting screwed film. I thought juxtaposed to Terry Gar, Madeline Kahn, and this was a lot 
lot funnier than what Terry Gar was. I love her. And what she was in Blazing Saddles. I thought her whole character was amazing. Every time she said anything, I was laughing. I thought she was consistent, and they didn't give her anything that fell flat, I thought. Yeah, she was definitely much better in this film than Blazing Saddles. She made me laugh a lot, too. Her delivery was hilarious. I've always liked her, ever since I saw her in Clue. That whole bit she did at the beginning, where she was like, okay, I love you, say goodbye, but don't kiss me, because I'm going to a party later. (laughs) And don't crinkle my dress, don't touch my hair, I'm going to a party, don't you listen? (laughs) But I love you, goodbye. Not to rag on about this too long, but I think maybe the saving grace of Inga was that she was the more sexually forward individual. And maybe in the 70s, it was a lot different. I know in the films we've seen like Rocky, the man is always hounding the woman, making the remarks and coming on. But in this one, it was a little bit of a reversal. And Gene Wilder was very much attached to his fiance. And so you kind of, instead of the man coming on to the woman, the woman was coming on to the man here. And I did appreciate that as a little bit of diversity, but I don't think it was enough. Any other characters you guys want to talk about? What about the monster? What's there to talk about? He's great. What about the Gene Hackman as the blind monk? That was funny. That was so good. That was good, but that was like a one-off side quest bottle episode. But it was funny. I thought he did well. <laughs> it was character development for Frank. Yeah, so <sighs> those two together were very funny. That whole yes. scene they had where he's pouring soup in the poor monster's lap and his face, <laughs> oh! Finger. <laughs> and he catches his finger on fire yeah. and you expect him to freak out about the fire, but he's actually just like, oh, my damn finger! <laughs> I was gonna say, I wish it had more importance on the general plot line, but you're right, it did develop the monster. I think the issue is I didn't ever care about the monster at all. And maybe it's because I just hate that fucking dancing scene so much. And that just soils me. (laughs) You don't like putting on the Ritz? Whenever the monster was on screen, I never cared. There was always a more interesting character I wish was on screen instead, whether that be Gene Wilder as Frankenstein or Igor, Igor, whatever. I think that's fair. I have a question for you guys. Do you know what the monster's line was in the song? No, but well, other than... uh, Yeah. (laughs) So Sarah, you actually knew what he was trying to say. The other two didn't even know. Yeah, because I I know the song. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I was just curious. Like, I, like that's just something. Well, what's the song? Same putting on the Ritz. It's like a very famous oh, song okay. from the 40s. Right, yeah. Uh, well, not all of us <laughs> were alive back then, Chris. I wasn't. I'm either. just joking. Relax. Well, I wasn't in this body in the 40s. <laughs> my knowledge only goes back as far as the 1950s because I played Bioshock, and that's my reference for that historical time period. <laughs> Surprisingly accurate. That's a good-ass game. I think I need to play that one, actually. I got a couple of fun facts. So when they first introduced the mansion, that dun-dun-dun plays, but this is also the exact same sound clip used in the dramatic hamster meme from 2007. And so when this got indoctrinated for being culturally important or significant, I think this is what they mean. Contributions to memes. Do you mean inducted? Indoctrinated. I'm pretty sure that no one programmed it to their ideology. (laughs) So what you're telling me is SpongeBob SquarePants is the most culturally relevant piece of art of all time. I think so. Or possibly the Star Wars prequels. Probably what? Star Wars. <laughs> well, we're talking about based on the amount of memes that have been created from the content. That's how you know it's culturally relevant. It probably is Fellowship of the Ring. That is actually a fair, like, fast forward 500 years from now. Yeah, dude, that it actually is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, for sure, right? <laughs> That's how you measure your impact on 
on society. That's your lasting appeal is whether or not people still post memes of your film on 4chan. Like that guy <laughs> who drew that sword art in that sword instruction booklet where the guy was holding the sword by the blade and beating another guy to death with the pommel <laughs> actually was the first meme creator of all time. And he's just had a huge cultural impact. That's true. Do you guys have any uh, moments of the film or uh, plot points you want to bring up before we move on? My favorite scene was, Craig touched on it earlier, but when Frankenstein's quizzing Igor about where he got the brain, I loved just how straight Gene Wilder was throughout that. He's like, no, I won't be mad. Just be honest with me. (laughs) I thought that was really funny. I think that was my favorite. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Uh, be normal. <laughs> I just love that Igor is, I don't know, he seems so upfront and honest, but he had no no trouble not telling anyone that he did not grab the right brain yeah. <laughs> until he... <laughs> Until it came back and bit him in the ass. And the practical effects on that, the brain on the floor was quite good too. Yeah, actually, there were a lot of really good effects in this movie. I loved the whole lab scene with all the vacuum tubes and everything. It was very neat. Tesla coils and Van generators and all that cool shit. I read about that, and it was actually from the original Frankenstein set. The guy who created it had it all in storage, and so they reached out to him, and he's like, oh yeah, use it. And he never got credited in the Frankenstein films, but he was credited here. That's that's amazing. Yes, I saw the credit at the beginning of the movie. I missed the name, but it was like yeah. for original Frankenstein stuff. Yeah, just all these electrical things. They're that, just gizmos. I'm sure they do. They do something. Yeah, yeah they're they're <laughs> science and up the place. I don't have anything left in my notes. This was a pretty quick film, to be honest. I think it's pretty cut and dried. We all thought it was pretty funny, and we all basically liked it. It was a good watch. But somehow Jordan still had a bad take on it. Okay, no, it's decent. It's a decent film. Um, I just think it's bested by funnier movies or movies with better plots. Also, music did not help this film whatsoever. Blazing Saddles set my expectations way too high, and I got baited by zero bangers. <laughs> this soundtrack was 15 minutes long. You had only had to write 15 minutes of music, and you couldn't come up with something catchy and memorable what the hell i don't know why we're friends i don't remember any of the music so that seems accurate to me jordan doesn't get on the jordan's banger spotify playlist all right it just doesn't seem relevant i thought it was atmospheric and good there were no bangers yes i concur (laughs) i understand that this is a play on classic horror but do anything interesting with your soundtrack you can be an homage but also do something somewhat memorable yeah and they could have had it in color too if they wanted to but they chose not to I'm ready to rank it. If you're following along with the YouTube video, you can check the link at the top of the description or the list on popcornpeeps.com to see where we've placed the films that we've seen so far. However, without further ado, Sarah, where are you going to put Young Frankenstein amongst the films we've seen so far? I'm putting this on my 13th position below Bridge on the River Kwai and above Inception, just having a straight rule that nothing with rape will enter my top 10. So. We didn't even talk about that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah. Record scratch sound. You're editing <laughs> okay. this, so I'm okay with it. <laughs> this film's rape scene was so cringy. It was awful. Yeah. It was it was uncomfortable. I was just trying to look away and wait for it to be over. And I mean, sure, if you want to enter that by having a monster rape a victim, okay, because he's a monster, but not in a satire film where you're trying to make him sympathetic and she's saying no, 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 but then she turns into yes. Yes, but it doesn't negate her initial nose. I agree. Like you still disregarded them. Yeah. Even if she was like, oh, Mr. Monster, I'm not so sure. I would have been less cringy than she just going, no, 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 no. <laughs> Even Blazing Saddles didn't 
have a rape in it. I said to Bree, this is pretty cringy. The guy sneaks into the castle and then knocks this girl out and then takes her to a hole in the woods and drags her down into the hole and then rapes her in the middle of a comedy? What the hell just happened here? Because it's funny when it happens to women. She got over it. He had a huge dick. <laughs> and then you try to make him, you try to redeem him and turn him into this like every dude at the end where he, they get married at the end like and just turn him into this every guy reading the newspaper it's like no he's a monster who raped her like what the fuck I'd just like to make one comment about the monster. Um, I should I should just move this to when I was actually talking about the monster because I'm so all over the place today. But what was the lesson with the monster? So he he gets to become a part of society because he is able to conform to their rules and what they consider normal. But beforehand, just because he was abnormal, he was a little bit different. He was ostracized and attacked and victimized and... Yeah, that's the lesson here. Don't be weird. <laughs> that is exactly the lesson. Plus, also now Gene Wilder has a giant schlong. What I find particularly interesting about the sexual abuse and sexual assault is that Gene Wilder, I was watching an interview with him around 20 years after he had stopped acting and the host said, why did you stop? And he just said, I really didn't like the direction Hollywood was going. It was all about uh, warfare, explosions, vulgarity, swearing, edginess, and that really turned him off. And I thought, bro, you wrote a movie in which a monster rapes this poor woman and you're complaining that modern movies have too much vulgar language? That's way way tamer than some of the shit that you were a part of. How our definitions have changed. Welcome to the 20th century where violence... Chris, you weren't like that when we were watching Blazing Saddles. No, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing it. I'm saying that is a common attitude of, oh, you can't have swearing or you, you can't have violence or, or you can, right? Like that, no, yeah. You could have rape. You could have a rape in the middle of like a pre-watershed TV show because of the mythology that good girls want to, but say no until you can change their mind. Like that's what that's playing into. Not true. Not true then, not true. It's a classic Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. And then being offended, like. Um, but if there's too many F words, it's not a good movie. Yeah, that's right. Because you can't say fuck. And like, that's the line for some reason. Sorry, this is going to be a, a mess to edit. Uh, Sarah, you just ranked. Do we want to go to you, Chris? Yeah, but I had a fun fact. I'm sorry. <laughs> throw it in, throw it in. <laughs> it reminded me. Aerosmith wrote their song, Walk This Way, after seeing this movie. They took that line directly from Igor. I love it. Oh, that's amazing. Apparently. They watched this and then wrote it. Love it. There you go. There's some cultural impact. Yes, I've ranked. So on to the next person. I have a policy of not putting movies with rape in my top nine. <laughs> <laughs> The things we can overlook. <laughs> so uh, if I'm not sure if you can infer where I put Young Frankenstein, but it comes in at number 10 in between Inception and Wally. Very nice. But not in my not in my top nine. Heaven forbid. <laughs> no, you have standards. The top nine is a sacred holy land. We share the exact same views. I just draw the line one <laughs> one lower than you do. I love this movie. I laughed a lot. Joke to joke, good punchlines, good callbacks, good comedy. It sounds like someone was listening when I gave some tips on how to be funny in the earlier podcast. <laughs> I almost introduced you as self-proclaimed comedian, but I thought it was too BM. <laughs> that would have been pretty accurate, actually. 
would have been funny. <laughs> but if you take a look at my list, you'll see that it's really hard for comedies to break into the higher numbers. And that's just because I like comedies, but I don't show up for them, you know? I want some action, I want some drama, that kind of thing. So unfortunately, I got to stick this sucker at 15 below Fellowship of the Ring and above Braveheart. You guys are all sucking this movie off and then putting it pretty low, Sarah and Craig. <laughs> I said at the beginning it was peaks and valleys. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'm going to put this film at 16th below Airplane and above Rocky. Simply chose this spot because I thought Airplane was funnier and my 17th through 27th spots generally have weaker plots or suffer from something glaring that makes me dislike the film. So 16th, that's where it's sitting. The Lower Echelon, it's a good watch. I enjoyed it. Uh, I would watch it again, but I wouldn't call it amazing. One of the greatest films of all time. Just cool piece of cinema history. That's kind of how I feel. I thought it was funny. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was good. It was good. People should watch it if they like laughing. And if you like old um, Universal Movie Monster movies. Oh, for sure. I mean, maybe that's why I disliked it as much. I'm not even a big monster movie fan. So a lot of what it was paying homage to was either lost on me or I just wasn't interested. So take that with a grain of salt if you're listening. Anyway, what are we going to be watching in episode? Wait, what the fuck? What episode? Oh, my God. It's true. It's not a typo. Yeah. What are we going to be watching in episode 30 of Popcorn Peeps? <laughs> Chris a good one 2000s almost famous so uh, out of the four of us the only one who hasn't seen it is Jordan yep welcome to Billy Crudup Jordan I don't know what the fuck that means but I'm ready to get on the horse and go for a ride where can our audience check that out don't wear there's no just kidding um there, there's no non-incremental charge services where it is available but you can get it on Apple TV Google Play and YouTube uh, that's actually the 4K. If I think if you drop down, there's a couple more. Cineplex, Microsoft, Amazon, but just watch it in 4K. Chris, you want to read it this time? You just got to do the spiel beforehand. I don't remember the spiel. I usually tune you out. No, you'll know. You'll figure it out. That's how Sarah made it through two years with that guy. <laughs> Hi, I'd like to... Sub <laughs> it's hard. It is really hard. It, it's hard. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you would like to offer your support, check out the links at the top of the description or on Patreon. Uh, so without further ado, thanks to Jack and Me Off, Sarah Renier, <laughs> Frank Costa, Ryan Saarinen, Jim Walmsley, and Travis Laporte. It's always nice to thank someone for a Jack Mihoff. Yeah. See, the funny thing is, is that it's not even the first person to write their name on Patreon as Jack Mihoff. There was someone at the very beginning who did that too. Oh, yeah. And then changed it, and now it's back again. <laughs> Yet another callback. Another comedic callback. <laughs> this is our best episode yet. Oh, my goodness. This episode's a train wreck. But if you made it through it, thanks for listening. Until next time, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye, all.